Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Welcome to today's show of the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where today's show is going to particularly coincide with the motto of the show, I have taken the concept of the merry-go-round, the circus ride, and I have adopted the motto to avoid the downs and savor the ups. And that's what I want everyone to do when you're dealing with the law. But today's show in particular has to do with the ups and the downs. I'm going to talk today about the potential for compensation when things fall on you. Yes, that's right. We have all seen things like this happen in our lifetimes, or perhaps if we haven't seen it, we've heard about it. But you are walking around, minding your own business, and all of a sudden something falls out of the sky and it hits you. Well, maybe it's not exactly the sky, but it's certainly above you. And so we understand that concept of what goes up must come down. Let's talk about three cases today. The first was actually in Prince George's County, Maryland, in, if you will, my backyard. This is a, uh, a, a locality very close to where I practice law in my office. In this particular case, a grocery store shopper was hit by a falling ceiling tile and sued the grocery store. So here's what happened. Customer walking through the store in the aisle and a falling ceiling tile inside struck her. She claimed an injury as a result of the incident. The grocery store, of course, denied responsibility. The plaintiff was shopping, and she claimed that the ceiling tile fell about 10 feet from above her and struck her on the wrist. Now, she claimed an injury, which is called de Quervon's syndrome, or de Quervon's tendonitis. And you can say, okay, what is that? It's an injury to the tendons on the thumb side of your wrist. So making a fist or twisting your wrist could be very painful. Now, the good news is that it does get better, give or take, with some potentially therapy or what have you, three, two, three, four months at the most. It's not a permanent injury, but it's very painful. And particularly if you're right-handed and it hits your right hand, and this is your right wrist, that could be uh, very difficult for several months. Well, let's get back to to the facts of this case. So here's what the plaintiff claims. She says that a gust of wind came through an open doorway in the grocery store and displaced the ceiling tile. She claimed that it was foreseeable that wind would gust through the open doorway and that the ceiling tiles should have been affixed so they wouldn't fall and hurt people. She uh, had this injury to her wrist as a result of the tile falling on her. She sought medical treatment and physical therapy, and she wanted to be paid back for the medical bills that she had, 
the lost wages that she incurred because she couldn't work for a time, and additional what we call non-economic damages, which many people will understand the phrase pain and suffering damages. Uh, pain and suffering is a term that I I don't really like because it doesn't envelop everything that is kind of negative that happens to people when they are injured. Disruption of life, injury, uh, physical pain, perhaps mental aggravation, psychological pain, inconvenience, all measure of negative things can happen. So the grocery store says, no, you know what? We had no notice that the ceiling tile might fall uh, from a gust of wind coming through an open door. And this is just not reasonable to require us to go around and secure all the reason, all, all the, the tiles in the whole store uh, on the chance that wind might come through. Now, the grocery store did not dispute the plaintiff's injury claim or her treatment. This is one of the things that sometimes can be disputed. We have many, many cases with injuries where the defendants are disputing what really happened. They claim that people are exaggerating their injuries or that that wasn't the, uh, a consequence of the accident or incident that might have occurred. Uh, they had pre-existing injuries and they're now claiming that those are, you know, uh, uh, being told uh, to the jury that they came from this accident. So in this case, it was easier a little bit for the plaintiff because the injury portion of the claim was not being disputed. So after the break, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you what happened in this case. The next case is really interesting. This was at a hotel, famed St. Francis Hotel. And here's what happened. A gentleman was walking through the front doors to the outside, and there's an awning, uh, of course, you've seen these types of things, over the sidewalk area immediately outside of uh, the front door connecting to the wall on top of the front door that leads to the sidewalk. So he is under the awning. And he makes a right turn onto the sidewalk, and he's walking six or seven steps, and all of a sudden, a chair hits him. Right, a chair falls from who knows where. But investigation reveals that it is a chair owned by the hotel. So he sues, and the question becomes one of a analysis of a legal term. The term is res ipsa loquitur. It's a Latin term, and it basically means that the thing speaks for itself. Now, this is a, this is a concept that is used successfully in airplane crashes. An airplane is not supposed to go down and crash. If it does, the thing speaks for itself. Something went wrong. And so here, the question is, clearly something went wrong. A chair doesn't just manufacture itself in midair and fall to the ground. But is this the responsibility of the hotel? It was their chair. But are they responsible? Does the thing speak for itself? When we come back, I'm going to share the result. Now, the last case 
is an older one, but I picked this to talk about today because it's just so absolutely interesting. And times have changed. So this really probably wouldn't be something that you'd encounter uh, in airline travel today. But we have a case um, that actually came from 1994, where Billy Jean Andrews, not Billy Jean King, the tennis player, but Billy Jean Andrews was a passenger on a United Airlines flight. And when the flight was over, the plane is landed and it's now stopped. And the little ding dong or whatever the, the music is chimes. And everybody knows now they can unbuckle their seatbelts and stand up and get their luggage out of the bins. Well, that's exactly what happened. So we have a case here where the court said, well, and I guess I should finish this. Uh, Billy Jean Andrews gets out of her seat and opens a bin and something very heavy falls on her and hurts her. Okay, so now we fast forward. The court says that they're called upon to determine whether United Airlines took adequate measures to deal with what they say is that elementary notion of physics. What I said in the beginning of this show here today, what goes up must come down. So while the skies are friendly enough, the ground can be a mighty dangerous place when heavy objects tumble from overhead compartments. As I described, when the plane landed during the mad scramble that usually follows, um, a briefcase fell from an overhead compartment and seriously injured Miss Andrews. No one knows who opened the compartment or what caused the briefcase to fall. And Miss Andrews doesn't claim that the airline people were involved in stowing the object or opening the bin. Her claim rather was that her injury was foreseeable and the airline didn't prevent it. So when she went to court, they dismissed her case on what is called summary judgment. That is that she didn't have enough legal argument to sustain or to move her case forward. The case was appealed by her and the higher level appellate court then had to make a decision. Everybody agreed that United Airlines is what is referred to in the law as a common carrier. Common carriers owe a very high duty to their customers, to their patrons. They owe a duty of utmost care and vigilance, uh, the vigilance of a very cautious person towards its passengers. So the concept of common carrier is that they are responsible for any, even the slightest negligence, and they're required to do everything that human care, vigilance, and foresight reasonably can do under all the circumstances. The appellate court said that to show that United did not satisfy its duty of care towards its passengers, Miss Andrews would have to present evidence. So she did. She presented testimony of two witnesses. The first was a, a woman by the name of Janice uh, Northcott, United's manager of in-flight safety, who disclosed that uh, about seven years before, 
the airline had actually received over 135 reports of items falling from overhead bins, many of those involving injuries to passengers. And as a result of these incidents, uh, Miss Northcott testified, United decided to add a warning to its arrival announcements that all items stored overhead might have shifted during the flight and the passengers should use caution in opening the bins. I think every one of us that's been on an airplane has heard that, and we hear it every time because, in fact, that became the standard for all airlines to issue that warning. Um, Miss Andrews' second witness uh, was a safety and human factors expert, Dr. David Thompson, who said that United's announcement was ineffective because the passengers were opening overhead bins, couldn't see objects that might be ready to fall until the bins were opened, uh, at obviously which point it's too late. This expert also testified that United could have taken additional steps to prevent the hazard, such as um, retrofitting its overhead bins with baggage nets, as some airlines had already been doing or by requiring passengers to store only lightweight items overhead. Now, the counter-argument, the counter-argument by United is also persuasive. They said that Miss Andrews presented too little proof to satisfy her burden uh, under uh, the circumstances, and that 135 incidents were trivial, uh, spread out over the millions of passengers traveling on uh, at that point, 175,000 excuse me, flights every year. Even that number overstates the problem, according to United, because it includes events where passengers merely observed items falling from overhead bins, but no one was injured. So United sees the low incidence of injuries as uh, absolute proof that the safety measures suggested by the plaintiff's expert uh, would not merit additional cost and inconvenience to airline passengers. So what do you think happened here? Well, I'm going to tell you after the break. Okay, then. Who do you look like? You know, I wanted to uh, to go to the break, but I, I had to share this with you. You know, some people go to great lengths to look like their favorite celebrity, the plastic surgery, the way they dress, all that. So this guy in Portland, Oregon, uh, had often been confused for Michael Jordan, and he didn't enjoy it because everybody was always stopping him on the street. So what does this guy do? He sues Jordan and Nike and the coach, Phil Knight, in 2006 for, are you ready for this? $832 million. Now, apparently, according to the information, he didn't look you know, that far off from Jordan, but um, obviously uh, uh, he wasn't Jordan. He even wore an earring the same way that Jordan did. Uh, he was eight years older and about six inches shorter but, uh, than Jordan. Well, okay, so I, I guess at the appropriate time, uh, as you might expect, he dropped his lawsuit, realizing that he had no reasonable explanation for the $832 million he was suing for. All right, well, let's go to the break. See you soon.
Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Hope that you enjoyed this little break and that you are now seriously considering joining my Samaco Club. I invite you to go to that website, check it out, and see if it's for you. I think it is for you, and that's why I'm talking to you. Okay, so let's get back to falling things. The sky is falling, Chicken Little. The sky is falling. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Well, okay, let's find out what did happen to the three individuals involved in the cases that I talked about prior to the break. The grocery store shopper, right? She claims that a gust of wind caused a ceiling tile above where she was walking in the grocery store to dislodge, and it came down and smacked her on the wrist. So in this particular case, the grocery store is defending the case, claiming that, you know, come on, that's just ridiculous. A gust of wind, we're not responsible for that. The individual here uh, had 5,000, uh, this woman that, that was claiming the injury, that had the injury, she wasn't claiming it, the claiming uh, responsibility on the part of the, the grocery store, she had 5,800 and some dollars in medical bills, and she missed a week of work, and she lost $700. And she wanted additional money uh, beyond uh, that 6,500, if you will, for what we call damages. Uh, suffering, pain, inconvenience, aggravation, disruption of her life. So what did the jury decide? Well, interestingly enough, they decided in her favor. They decided that she was entitled to recover $11,500. So it was about four, about $5,000 more uh, than she was asking for, uh, than I should say, it was about $5,000 more than the total of her wages and her lost, uh, uh, lost, the lost time from her job, her wages, and the medical bills that she incurred. This is an interesting case because, you know, how do you, how do you prevent something like that? It's a nice day. You open the doors. I'm happy the woman got her bills paid. I never want to see anybody suffer. It clearly wasn't her fault. You know, the public policy is that as between two people, the one who's potentially more responsible should be responsible. And this would be uh, the grocery store. 
But I think this really was was not a great verdict. Uh, I think the grocery store should not have been responsible here. To imagine that wind gusts coming into a store could cause the ceiling tile to fall, I think it's just too much of a stretch. I don't like this result. If this woman had come into my office, I probably would not have agreed to represent her because I think, again, the, the equities of this are such that, you know, the grocery store is not a guarantor uh, 100% of the time for your safety if just simply because you got injured, you're in their store. I, I, I just don't like this result. Case number two is the one where the gentleman comes out of the St. Francis hotels, walking on the sidewalk right in front of the hotel and boom, a chair falls out of the sky and hits him. And everybody agrees it was a chair that was owned by uh, the hotel. So the question is like the analogy to the airplane uh, where an airplane crashes and goes down the Latin expression used in the law, res ipsa loquitur, the thing speaks for itself. Well, in this case, you know, something happened that shouldn't have happened. But the question becomes, is this the fault of the hotel? Is this their responsibility? A court looked at this and said that in order to apply the, the logic of the uh, the legal terminology that's used as the basis for responsibility, res ipsa loquitur, there have to be three things involved. Number one, there must be an accident. Okay, well, check. There was an accident here. Number two, what caused the accident was at the time of and prior thereto, so at the time of and before, don't you love the legal language, prior thereto, I'm just reading from the court's uh, verdict sheet here. So at the time of the accident, what caused the accident uh, and before, right before the accident was under the exclusive control and management of, in this case, uh, the defendant hotel, St. Francis. So this is a question we have to get to. The third, that the accident was such that in the ordinary course of events, in this case, the hotel using ordinary care, the accident would not have happened. Well, in this case, it was determined that the hotel was not responsible. Nobody can claim that a hotel employee threw the chair out of a window. Nobody can claim that the chair was balancing on a windowsill and the wind came and took it. There is no understanding or explanation here as to what happened. It's just as likely that Fred and Sally in one of the hotel rooms were having a horrendous fight and um, uh, he throws a chair at her or she throws a chair at him in an open window and boom, it hits this guy. So in this particular situation, I do like the result. The hotel is not responsible. Now let's get back to the not tennis player, Billie Jean Andrews. The court in this case, and this is the woman who had something fall on her wrist from a bin in the overhead compartment of an airplane fell on her. The court said it's a close question, but they conclude 
that the plaintiff, Miss Andrews, made a sufficient case. United is hard-pressed to dispute that its passengers are subject to a hazard from objects falling out of overhead bins, considering the warning its flight crews give hundreds of times each day. The case then turns on whether the hazard is serious enough, serious enough to warrant more than a warning. Now, United demonstrated neither that retrofitting, United did not demonstrate, I should say, that retrofitting overhead bins with netting or other means would have been prohibitively expensive, nor that such steps would grossly interfere with the convenience of its passengers. So the court ruled that a jury could find United failed to do all that human care, vigilance, and foresight reasonably can do under the circumstances. So this is a case, again, that was appealed, and the appellate court said that, yeah, a jury could conclude that United is responsible. So the case was remanded, that's a legal word, it means sent back to the trial court with instructions that the case has to go forward and a jury can decide if United is responsible and if the woman gets to have uh, damages awarded to her for United's responsibility. Good verdict. Now, I'm going to share with you, I would have liked to have given you the result of this trial, but search as I may, I couldn't find it. I'm going to believe that Miss Andrews did get compensation. There's a little bit more to the story behind it and in front of it that I want to share. We've all been on these airplanes, and we know that the overhead bins uh, you know, are sometimes small. Um, what is the expression? Been there, done that? Okay, you get it. That was a joke. Carry-on items falling uh, from overhead storage bins struck about one-third of the responding flight attendants at least once during a one-year period in a survey that was conducted of flight attendants in 2010 by the Association of Flight Attendants Communications Workers of America. Boy, is that a mouthful. AFA-CWA. All right. But the point is that of all the flight attendants who participated in the survey, a third of them said, yeah, I've been hit by something coming out of the bins. Now, fortunately, most of the encounters resulted in minor injuries, bruises and bumps, that kind of thing. The, the truth of the matter is, though, that airplane overhead bins are not designed to hold large amounts of suitcases, duffel bags, and musical instruments. Uh, those things, typically, they, they want you to check, and that's why you're in the, in the airport. They have those little uh, devices where you can measure the size of your, uh, your luggage, and if it's too big, they make you check it. Not everyone brings on two bags nowadays, uh, particularly because many of the airlines are charging if you have more than one bag. Uh, sometimes even they charge for any bags at all. So in some manner of speaking, this is actually helping with this problem. Um, but even when people do bring two bags, they're not always the same size, which means that the flight attendants usually have something to do to manage the storage in the bin. Uh, during boarding, um, the flight attendants, uh, one of their jobs is actually to help with luggage. And sometimes they, I, uh, they've described, and I can certainly imagine it ends up being more like a uh, trying to put a puzzle together. Uh, you've seen it. 
If I move this bag here and place that suitcase there, then this shopping bag sideways and you put your laptop case under your seat and then, nah, 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 nah. uh, so, you know, there, it, it's always a struggle. So here's the bottom line on this kind of conversation about the overhead bins and passenger safety because of potential of things falling. In 2017, the FAA approved a carry-on baggage program and left it up to the airlines. Isn't that nice? The program outlines the allowable size and weight of the bags for that carrier. Each carrier makes its own rules. Now, since each airline creates its own program, there are variations between airlines on what bags are considered allowed and what are not. Typically, the items that are stored uh, in these overhead bins are not just coats and ties anymore. They're, you know, big stuff sometimes. Uh, passengers bring in um, rolling suitcases and baby carriages and briefcases, the strollers, sports equipment, golf club bags with clubs in them. Um, and unusually shaped objects. So my advice to you, my friends, when you are getting on an airplane and you have things that are uh, stored in overhead bins, be very vigilant about what else is in that bin on both sides of the aisle where you're sitting and pay attention. There's nobody that's going to take more care about you than you. I hope that this has been an enjoyable show. I do hope you're going to come back next time. I do hope you're going to subscribe and you're going to give me a review. I'm still in the infancy of my podcast career here, and your participation and your support means everything to me. Savor the ups and avoid the downs when it comes to legal things. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.